Welcome to the Dream for Others podcast. I'm Naomi Arnold, an award-winning business and life passion coach, writer, speaker, and human rights activist. This show features inspiring conversations with those who use their platform, passions, and uniqueness to make a difference in the world. If you are big-hearted, open-minded, a lifelong learner, and are on a mission to help create a better world, this is the podcast for you. Now let's get started and dream for others. Today I am really happy to have Cameron Aaron on the Dream for Others podcast. Cameron helps folks free themselves from gender expectations and norms to explore and own who they are. Cam also enjoys helping solo entrepreneurs and business owners integrate a feminist lens into their work. Cam is the co-founder of Whole Self Liberation, a movement and resource that helps you integrate social justice and personal growth into your everyday life. You might remember that we had Cam's business partner, Andrea Renee, on a recent episode of the podcast too. Cameron is also passionate about interviewing and elevating diverse, marginalized voices for their podcast, Real Feminist Stories, and writing about feminism and taboo topics that we shy away from as a society. Cam has an MA in Anthropology and Social Change, uses she-they pronouns, lives nomadically, and is obsessed with American Ninja Warrior. I personally have learned so much from Cam and cannot wait to have an opportunity to introduce Cam's brilliance with you today. But before we get started, if you haven't heard already, we now have a philanthropic podcast project where Dream for Others listeners are joining forces to make a difference for as little as $2 per month. We would love if you would join us at patreon.com slash dream for others. But enough of that. Let's get in and, and learn from Cam. Hi, Cameron. Thank you so much for taking time out in your evening to chat with me on the Dream for Others podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Naomi. I'm so glad you're here. I have so many questions, selfishly. <laughs> I I think I mentioned to you, I started to write a list and it got so long that I had to rein myself in and say, that's enough, Naomi. Oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) I love your question. You'll be exhausted by the time time we're finished. We'll see how many we get through. (laughs) That's okay. So I thought to start, I'd love to begin by doing what I've noticed that you do in a lot of your webinars, and that's sharing our pronouns with each other and with the audience, because I suspect that this exercise in itself will be foreign to a lot of listeners. So Mm. I use she, her pronouns, and I would love if you'd share yours and also just explain why you do this. Yeah, sure. So I use she or they pronouns, um, either one are fine. And it's important for me to do this um, because I acknowledge that not everyone fits into the gender binary and not everyone uses the gender pronouns that maybe you would assume that they would use um, and not everyone uses gender pronouns that fit into a binary like he or she, right? Some people use they, some people use Z. Um, there's a lot of other ones too that, um, 
the mainstream hasn't heard of, you know, that the individuals come up with themselves. And it's really just an acknowledgement of the variations of gender and gender um, being fluid and on a spectrum and being beyond the binary. Mm. And I noticed that you um, mention your pronouns in your professional bio as well. Yes, that's actually a just kind of, it's sort of a recent shift that I started doing. It was something that I was doing right like at the beginning of um, things that I would facilitate or, you know, stuff like that, but I hadn't really incorporated it into my bio. And I, you know, for a while was just using the she pronoun in my bio, but it didn't feel like the whole story. Mm. And so I decided to use both pronouns in my bio when describing myself. And then at the end, say that I use he slash or she slash they pronouns and just to kind of shake things up a bit. Yeah, I love that. It, and it raises the consciousness of those reading. And I find, mm. yeah, I just since being exposed to you doing that in your webinars and in your writing, I for myself have just noticed in everyday life, I'm more conscious of when I use, you know, she and he without mm-hmm. thinking just automatically. Yeah, exactly. So before we talk about more of your work in detail, I just I'd love to know how you got to this space <laughs> where you have this awareness and and you know what the personal story behind that is, where this sparked and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I was just always someone from a very young age that was really bothered by injustices and people suffering and um, was also kind of really in touch with the darkness in the world and felt, I mean, I'm an empath, so I've always felt things very deeply and feel energy, um, like the world's energy (laughs) and kind of the weight of the world on my shoulders in a way. Um, but was always super deeply bothered by injustices and inequalities that I saw, especially in my own home. So, and I was very aware of sexism in particular, because that's what I saw in my own home um, and with my parents and um, just how patriarchy shows up there. And it just really bothered me. I think it, I don't know why it bothered me more than like my peers, because I would point out certain things about gender and sexism growing up with my friends and they would just you know they would sort of agree but they they would look at me like oh I never thought about that before and so I don't really know why I was thinking about it and other people weren't necessarily around me I mean I wasn't really raised by feminists in particular I I was in a grew up in a very conservative town so I guess it's just like part of my life's work but I definitely was called a feminist from a young age, like around 17 or 18. And immediately was like, yes, this is me. I didn't really know fully what it meant, but I knew enough. Like I knew that it was for equality, right? Like that it was for, you know, justice, that it was, um, 
you know, for my freedom, basically. And so that's why I was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely a feminist. And um, I, I knew it also had like a kind of a negative connotation, but I didn't care. I was just like, no, no, I know that this is right. And I'm going to stand up for what is right. And so I ended up studying women and gender studies for my BA. And it wasn't what I originally went into. Um, when I first went to college, I was actually, there were many things I wanted to do, but I um, was going to actually major in kinesiology and fitness and, and stuff because I, I was a fitness trainer for a while throughout my 20s. Um, but then halfway through, I switched to gender studies, women and gender studies, um, because I was taking these sociology classes and I realized that gender and feminism was my thing. That was like the, the thing that I was really passionate about. And I just wanted to dive deeper and learn more and more and more. And I was also questioning my own gender big time and had been for a while, but I just didn't really have the language to articulate it. Um, but I had been in therapy and I, and so it just, and I was questioning my sexuality too. I mean, just kind of coming to terms with like, what is my sexuality and all these things. So it was a really awesome time in my life, and I guess that's really kind of where my, I, you know, my feminist analysis really began, and I really um, gained um, a greater feminist consciousness that kind of that, that led to to what I'm doing now, and ended up getting a master's degree later on. But um, yeah, I think that's really kind of like the beginning. Mm. And then did that naturally progress into work and the the work that you do now with your business? I mean, not really. So, mm. I mean, <laughs> after, so after I graduated with my BA, I still wanted to be a fitness trainer. I mean, I was still passionate about like fitness and I was a runner. I've been a runner since I was eight years old. So a long distance runner. I started running marathons and I wanted to be a running coach. So I became a running coach and a trainer and I, yeah, it's what I did <laughs> for a while. And I was, I had my own business as so I was an entrepreneur. I wanted to be, I didn't want, I did work at the Y for a while, but I right away that first year that I got certified, I took in-home clients, private clients, and I knew that I wanted to be my own boss and um, all that. So I was still a feminist and I was still somebody who, if you knew me, I was always talking about gender and sexuality and feminism. Like you knew me as the feminist for sure. You know, you knew me as someone that was always kind of pointing out, you know, things that maybe people weren't thinking about or talking about. And, but my job was fitness. And, um, but, you know, I, I, I do think that I brought my feminist perspectives to my fitness for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I was definitely... Yeah, I was definitely noticing like anti-feminist and oppressive ways that, you know, the way fitness operates. And I didn't notice it in its entirety until I left it for good. But I definitely was like noticing, you know, oppressive things, you know, around just like body, sh a lot of body shaming, right, that people would have and a lot of, you know, internalized oppression, too, that people would have. And just like this body ideal that everybody wanted to kind of live up to that was just not sitting right with me. You know, I was just noticing like, okay, this is just, you know, wow, I just, I just wish people could accept their bodies the way they like, I wish we could all just kind of 
be in the body that we are and like you can still be fit right like our, all there's fitness comes in all different shapes and sizes right like you can it, you know skinny is not the ideal so I was definitely noticing things like that but I didn't know how to work with clients on that you know because they were coming to me to kind of fix them and um I knew I couldn't fix them and but like you know they weren't coming to me to give them my feminist lens you know um they were coming to me to help them you know lose weight or gain strength gaining strength was what actually the thing that I really liked doing the most but um anyway I did that for a while long time and then I went to grad school um for uh social change anthropology and social change and it was right is before grad school that I knew I needed a shift I knew I wasn't passionate about fitness anymore, and but I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. So went, then I went to grad school and I realized a bunch of things about myself that had always been there, but I just was now like going to put them into action. And that's when I decided after I, grad school, I decided not to go for a PhD and I wanted to be a feminist coach slash consultant and um, and a teacher, but not a teacher in academia. Like I do kind of consider myself more of a teacher than a consultant slash coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, and a facilitator too. Um, but I feel like that's kind of what I really wanted to do was kind of become maybe like an entrepreneur teacher, feminist teacher, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I love listening to you know, people's stories and seeing how all the dots fall together, mm-hmm. even just talking about fitness then, you know, you're still, you're still involved in the fitness world and conversation just from a different angle now. I know you still, mm-hmm. you know, write and talk about fitness and yeah. athleticism yeah. and sport and all I of do. these things. I'm, I'm obsessed with women athletes and and just because, you know, it's, it's again, that's like, yeah, it's a big passion of mine because I've always been an athlete, but it's like one area of smashing the patriarchy, right? And one area of really challenging gender norms is like women have not been taught and or given the space and opportunity to be at, to be the full, you know, to live their full potential athletic selves that they could, right? The same way that men have been. And and that might look differently and it may not, you know, than men and all this and that. But I'm very interested in, you know, helping people like be in touch with their full selves and not be limited by gender and, and their ideas, our ideas about, you know, gender expectations and norms and what and that shows up in athleticism a lot and so yeah yeah you're right I still talk about it a lot so passionate (laughs) yeah so these things now are showing up through a whole heap of different I guess avenues in your work so I know that you obviously have the consultancy coaching education slash 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 (laughs) kind of role and you're a podcast host and you've got whole self-liberation. So there's quite a few different components there now and just showing up how you show up in social media and have conversations um, about things and about sport and about observation and current affairs and all of these types of things. You've got quite a multifaceted way there of having these conversations and doing this work. 
Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. I do. That's why it's really hard to talk about my work. I'm like, what do you do? It's like, well, I do a lot of different things. I don't know how, you know, where do I begin? And it's hard to write a bio too, because it's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm bragging and just going on and on and on. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, I think, you know, we creatives, like you wear multiple hats too, you know, I mean, we creatives just, we need to be doing multiple things. Hmm, especially when you're very passionate and multi-passionate about yes, so much. Exactly. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the feminist consultant side a little bit more and mm-hmm. also your podcast, Real Feminist Stories. So I know this is a tough question and we briefly spoke about it off air on email when I brought it up. But what <laughs> is being a feminist to you? Like what does that mean to you and, and why have you chosen to use your platform and your voice to raise stories of, of, of feminists? Yeah, it's a really good question. So being a feminist to me is having a critical analysis of patriarchy and gender and how the system of patriarchy and sexism is intersected with other oppressions like race, like disability, like sexuality, like class. So patriarchy doesn't just like sit on its own, but um, there's all these systems of oppression that are working together. So being a feminist to me isn't just focusing on sexism and patriarchy, although that's sort of like where, you know, feminism stemmed from, but it's very much, you have to be working to end all oppressions, right? Because, um, and that's when, that's the mistake that the feminist movements, the mainstream feminist movements in the United States have made where they've been very dominated by white, cisgendered, straight able-bodied women who have completely ignored women of color, queer women, trans women, women who done sex work, um, disabled women. And there's all these intersections exist. So we can't just kind of like focus on gender alone. But, um, you know, like, we have to understand that a lot of people live in these intersections. Like, what is it like for a black queer woman? I mean, for a black queer woman, she's not just facing sexism, she's facing racism, and she's facing, you know, homophobia, or transphobia, or whatever, you know, is her queerness. And so that's really like, what a feminist means to me is it's, it's intersectional, right? And that's what my podcast is all about. And that's the the lens that I come from. Yeah, and you can really see that role modeled and emulated through your podcast by the guests and the conversations that you have there. Mm, Good, thank you. So with your consulting and your coaching, does it tend to have a similar feel, the type of clients that come to you and the type of people that come to you do they generally attract as feminists and do they have, you know, intersectional issues that they want to talk about or what are the, what are some of the key themes that come up in that, in that work that you do in that space? How do you support them there? Yeah, they, they all are feminists um, or at least like, 
you know, interested in social justice. And um, yeah, they want, there's a lot of different things that people come to me for. One of the big things is wanting to be more gender inclusive and, you know, how to do that and sexuality inclusive as well. And, um, and just kind of how to integrate their feminist and social justice passions into their work and kind of, you know, yeah, just into their business and kind of, yeah, just integrate because they know they like, they know that they're really passionate about feminism or a certain, you know, social justice stuff over here. And they have like maybe a degree in that or some kind of experience or background with that. And then they also are like doing, you know, um, something that they're not seeing is connected to that, but it is connected. So I, sometimes I help them connect the dots. Um, sometimes I help them kind of get more in touch with beliefs that they may have internalized from oppression that are kind of holding them back from doing what they want, holding them back from putting out their offerings and, um, you know, what, what they really love doing. And there's so many things that can hold us back, you know, and, um, that oppression teaches us. And, um, also a little bit of like how you can show up on social media, like through your marketing and through your messaging, through your website with your feminist beliefs and values, like how that can be conveyed you know, through your marketing and your website. I'm not like a marketing coach, but I can, I help people make sure that they like can convey that. And I have learned a lot about, and I'm still learning a lot about how we can make marketing feminist because it's, there's a lot of ways that it's not. Mm. So, um, you know, how we can be inclusive in like the images that we use, but, um, you know, it goes further than that too. Like we are, our integrity needs to show up in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, with, with our images, with our messages and with our actual practices and actions. Mm. That's, that is a huge job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a, yeah, there's a lot of different th- reasons why people come, so it's kind of yeah. hard. To, like, there's not one thing is, is what I've is what I've noticed, which is yeah. great because, yeah, yeah. And once I you, like I guess, it. kind of unearth one thing, it then unearths a heap of other things, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You just it's it's one of those areas, I guess, where people are always growing and expanding and deepening their knowledge and finding ways to act and progress. Yeah, exactly. But the one, I mean, there is one thing that I see um, coming up a lot with people is they really want to be more inclusive and especially around gender and sexuality stuff. And they just, they don't know the right language to use, mm-hmm. the pronouns to use, how to bring it up. And so that's one area that I am really good at just because of my background and, you know, my experience, personal experience and everything. So I am going so I, I'm still, you know, going to be offering the regular kind of feminist consulting sessions for business owners and solo entrepreneurs. Um, but I am shifting, uh, I'm adding to it and kind of shifting focus a little bit. And I'm working on it right now and it'll be up, should be up by the end of the month. It takes a long time to to redo a website and to create a new package. But um 
I am going to be focusing a little bit more on the gender stuff. And I'm going to be offering um, a package, a gender sessions package. And, and I'll be offering like other, other ways that people can, can work with me around gender that don't involve like investing in a whole package. But basically I just am super passionate about helping people get free of gender expectations and gender norms. And I also want to help people like, I want to give them a safe and brave space to explore however they want with gender or not with gender and, and then just own who they are getting in touch with all that they are. I, I do believe, I mean, what I see over and over again throughout my whole life is just how much these gender expectations and norms hold us back and have since the very beginning, because when we when we're born, you know, what is the first thing that happens? We're labeled a gender. Mm-hmm. And even before we come out, we're labeled a gender because everyone wants to know, well, are you going to have a boy or are you going to have a girl? And then they might paint the room a pink or a blue. And, and I know a lot of parents aren't going quite that binary these days. Like they might use yellow or something, right? Like they might try to be more gender neutral, but we still are labeled a gender from a young age. And we attach certain expectations to that, that we don't, that we're not even aware of. We're not even conscious of. So, it, I mean, studies have been done and show that we tend to give boys less affection, right? And we tend to give girls more affection. We tend to allow girls, babies, right? Mm-hmm. Babies um, more room to cry and be emotional and boys a little bit less like, come on, buddy. And come on, you know, be a, be a man. I mean, we're telling a young boy, you know, to, to be a man. I mean, like, really? Mm-hmm. And so, but we all do these things. And so, I mean, this is just something that I see over and over again that I feel like really, I mean, it really influences who we become as adults. And I feel like it gets us away from our whole selves. Like it really doesn't give us the space to be all of who we are and explore who all we might be that we don't even know. And maybe, you know, some of us do fit really neatly into that binary and and that's fine. But I think many of us or most of us in some way or another don't, you know, there's something that has been restricted. There's something like maybe we feel like we need to perform masculinity or perform femininity when that's not really who we are in this one area. Like maybe women feel like they need to perform a certain kind of femininity in the bedroom and that's not really who they are, what they want to do. Or men feel like they have to perform a certain kind of masculinity to around, you know, women, you know, around other men, and maybe that's not who they are. So there's so many different ways. And so I'm um, moving more in that direction to um, work with people around that and getting free of that stuff. So sorry, it was a long no, that's very good. And, and I'm sure everyone can hear the passion in your voice as you were sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> and it made me think as well about in one of your whole self uh, liberation webinars that you did on sexuality and patriarchy that you're also talking about how we are kind of born into a world where it's assumed that heterosexuality is default as well and how Mm. that kind of shapes our identity and 
how we grow up and limits maybe our exploration and and sense of identity there as well. Yes, exactly. So yeah, the, another thing is sexuality, right? So we grow up in a heteronormative society, you know. Mm. I know it's the same way in Australia, right? And most of the world, in fact. And we just we grow up in a heteronormative society where we're all assumed to be heterosexual until proven otherwise. And this is, I mean, sexuality is a construct. And actually, heterosexuality is a fairly modern construct. You know, that term has not always been around. And there's, so heterosexual is constructed Homos, you know, the, homosexual is a construct, like sexuality is a construct. And so, yeah, Andrea and I were talking, you know, what if we were brought up instead of assuming that we might be or probably are heterosexual, what if there were no assumptions about what our sexuality were? Like, how different would things be? We we and we were given permission to explore whatever desires arise in us you know maybe it's with women maybe it's with men maybe it changes a lot you know it's super fluid maybe it's not and that's fine um but you know we don't how do we really know when we grow up in such a heteronormative society where everyone around us is basically telling us we're probably heterosexual and if not you know maybe they're saying oh no it's fine if you're not but what if we just didn't even have that as a default right the heterosexual as the default and you know I mean it some people hearing well we grew up in heteronormative society what does that mean like so I just want to give a couple examples where if we look at the media, like TV and movies, most of the romances and relationships we see are heterosexual, right? So that right there gives you a big clue into this heteronormative society that we grow up in. All of these messages that are fed to us from such a young age, you know, almost every advertisement is a man and a woman, you know, or kissing, right? Or like if it's a romantic one, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's so prevalent that we don't even see it. Mm. We don't even notice that that is what we're seeing. And that, and so like we might feel, we might think, oh, we're accepting of queer people or gay people or which, which could be true, but we also need to bring our attention to like how we kind of perpetuate that heteronormativity in our everyday lives and how we, those messages that we kind of take in in our daily lives. Mm. I would love to have been brought up in an alternate universe where, <laughs> <laughs> where that is what happened and to see what I might have, you know, what, what I would be like today. Yeah, I mean... I have, I, in my 20s, I hosted a few all-women play parties, sex parties. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed was when women are given, and a lot of these women were 
had, you know, identified or thought they were kind of more straight, you know, their whole lives. And what I noticed was when you give people a space, particularly women, to just be whoever they are and give them permission to kind of just explore, most of these women ended up exploring and wanting to as well. And then some did end up identifying as bisexual instead. And, and, and it's, and so I just feel like I've seen that happen in certain events that I've been at, where if you give people this space and this opportunity to really just do, you know, explore in ways that they never got to, and, you know, it doesn't mean you have to completely change your identity or that you've been lying to yourself all along or you have to, you know, leave your partner or anything like that, right? But just, just like, wow, you know, it just kind of shows you, like, how restricted we are growing up of, like, kind of being put into these boxes and in this binary and, like, um, and how that, that may not be us. So how does one start to explore those things when they've been brought up a certain way to think a certain thing? If anyone's listening and they're like, I, I want to explore this and, and see what else <laughs> there is <laughs> that I haven't considered before, what, yeah. what might they do? It's a good question. It um, kind of depends on whether they're single or in a relationship. And, you know, if you're single – go on a, you know, maybe go on a date um, with someone of a gender that you didn't, you don't know that you were, are attracted to, like, or, you know, just kind of, or enter queer spaces or spaces where, you know, that are, that are interesting to you, right? But genuinely so. And, um, if you're in a relationship, I don't know. I mean, it's like, this is not totally my territory because I'm not a relationship coach or anything, but you know, maybe your partner would be open to you exploring, um, your sexuality. I know couples who have done this, you know, I mean, I know that it's, that, that this is a very natural thing to do. And, um, I think that, but you don't even have to like kind of act on it too with anyone in particular. Like you don't have to go on a date or you don't even have to kind of have a conversation with your partner, but you could just start noticing within yourself, like what your own desires are or what, what you're feeling in your body and that may not be coming to the surface or, um, that may have been suppressed or anything like that. Um, I also do know some really great relationship coaches too. So if anyone, but um, yeah, I think it's just kind of paying attention to our desire. And if there's any desires that are suppressed or if we have any inclinations or interests to towards someone or something, but we feel like, oh, no, I shouldn't, or I don't know, I can't because, you know, I'm, I'm this way. And this is, I, I, you know, so like, maybe you have a desire to go to a queer bar or something or a queer 
event or something, but you think, oh no, I'm, I can't do that. Or, you know, I mean, maybe explore something like that. Or maybe you have, you're a woman, you have a desire to go on a date with a woman, but you've never been on a date with a woman before. Um, or maybe you're a man and you're having, you feel like you might be bisexual, you know? I mean, there's so many different ways that you could feel and desires that you could have that I think just like starting with giving yourself permission to even just have those desires. Mm. Yeah. When you give yourself that permission and that openness and then that consciousness, I guess so much can come from that alone, can't it? In terms of yeah. mm-hmm. what might be, and it might end up being a significant change in your outer world, but in your inner world, it could be huge or, or both. Right, exactly. And, and you know, I said, it's funny, I, the first thing I said when you asked me, like, how can people explore that? And I said, well, it depends on if you're single or in a relationship. But actually, it doesn't, because that goes against my belief that you have to, in order to have intimacy, or, you know, to know your desire, you have to be in relationship with someone else. You do not, you know, you do not have to be in relationship with someone else to find intimacy within yourself and to know your own desires thanks for going there with me i know i, I know i didn't <laughs> flag that you. one beforehand so. <laughs> so i'd love to now switch back to whole self liberation and the work you're doing there with andrea and how you're trying to i guess integrate the personal development and the social justice spaces Um, I just I'd love to hear a bit about how that came to be how you both ended up partnering there and why you feel it's so important and yeah a bit about that side of what you do so a year ago I had known Andrea I mean I hadn't I'd known her for like six months I met her a year and a half ago a little bit more than that um, on Twitter at a chat on Twitter and we um, started a mastermind group together. There's just four of us in a mastermind group and, you know, like a business mastermind and got to know each other through there. And so last summer I decided I wanted to host a feminist retreat. And I wanted the feminist retreat to be around social change, self-care, and um, personal growth. And I knew I wanted to co-lead it with a woman of color. Because I did want it to be truly intersectional. And I knew that, you know, my lens is limited. I mean, I'm someone that definitely is committed to doing my own anti-racism work and anti-ableism work and all of that, um, or anti or ableist work and, and all those things, you know, privileges that I have, but, um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted, um, a lot of different, you know, I wanted intersectional feminists to, to come. And so, 
I didn't at first think it was going to be with Andrea because I just, for whatever reason, thought, oh, I haven't met them yet, whoever I'm going to co-lead this with, which is kind of what I think a lot of people tend to think. Like, I think a lot of times we tend to think the thing that we want, we don't know it yet when sometimes it's like there all along. <laughs> and <laughs> so that's kind of how this was, where I did meet with a different woman and kind of asked her if she wanted to do it with me and she kind of was like maybe and so I knew that whoever I wanted to lead it with like I I didn't want to maybe you know I really wanted it to resonate with them so and I thought okay I was having such a hard time just finding someone and I was putting it out there on Twitter and social media and and I was like reaching out to certain people and connecting and just wasn't happening. So then I thought, okay, do I already know this person? Like if there was anyone that I already know that I would want to lead this with, like, who would it be? And I just kept thinking of Andrea. I just kept thinking of her. And because we both very much were interested in the intersections of personal growth and social change. And um, that was kind of rare for me to find. And people was like, someone who was really doing work, you know, with that, those integrations. And so I decided I was going to ask her and I was really nervous because I thought, Oh, you know, like I don't want her to feel like she can't say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so I told her like, please say no if it's a no. Um, but think about it, you know, and I told her I really wanted to lead it with her. And she immediately said, yes, of course. Um, so, <laughs> Um, we started and I told her my vision for it and all everything. And so we started to plan it. But what happened was we both wanted to make it bigger than that. We wanted to create something larger where it wasn't based on a retreat, but where the retreat was just one aspect. And so we decided to create basically like a movement centered on personal growth and social justice and that really we really started to put that into serious action in January um, the new year we were like okay we're really doing this okay yes we're doing this and then she asked me to co-lead co-facilitate her coaching as activism program in the spring and and that was kind of like our first um opportunity that we got to like facilitate together and it worked out really well and um yeah so we've we've basically done a year of planning for whole self and it's been amazing it's evolved you know in so many different ways and um yeah so we're it's it's helping people do the inner work the inner healing work that is necessary for our personal liberation and for our collective liberation, you know, that is necessary to create the kind of change that we want to see out in the world. And we're very much about the inner and the outer. And we do, you know, and and internalized oppression is work around healing. Internalized oppression is really central to whole self-liberation. So growth and freedom, you know, Growth and liberation are basically what 
what whole self is. And now, yeah, we've been offering webinars and workshops since since we launched in June and um, did a campaign. And we have so many ideas and so many things we want to offer and do, but we are new. And so we are, we're wanting to like, you know, do, you know, go out, start big when we're realizing we kind of need to take some step backs and like, (laughs) so, okay, we have these big, great ideas and that's great, but like, we need to kind of like, take some baby steps into this. So (laughs) it's it's a learning experience, but it's amazing collaborating. You know, it's, it's, we both have our own individual, you know, things going on, our individual consulting and coaching and podcasts and other things going on. And then we have a thing together and that just feels really good. Mm, And it feels really good from someone on the other end to, gets to watch and experience it through you know your webinars and your mm. coaching and those community calls that you're doing it's quite yeah. incredible what you are both doing and the energy and the strengths that you bring together oh thank you it's so nice to hear oh true <laughs> if, if anyone's listening hasn't checked it out yet I'll put the links in the show notes um awesome. You mentioned internalized oppression, which has kind of been a, you know, a theme carrying through Mm -hmm. on a lot of things. And I'm sure you've been asked this a lot lately, but for those who are listening and are probably might duck for cover when they hear that and hide and (laughs) because it's scary, (laughs) do you mind Mm. introducing them to what that is and how it might show up? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So internalized oppression, it's not it's not a word that a lot of us use. It's just, it's not something that has been really well studied, honestly, but it is because we tend to think of oppression as like the system outside of ourselves. And oppression is a system that is outside, but we internalize that system as well. So internalized oppression, how I define it is basically harmful beliefs and stereotypes that we have taken on from society and our oppressors that aren't who we are and don't serve us. So some examples of that could be um, feeling, um, yeah, not beautiful because we're fat or not um, feeling worthy because we're not um, living up to capitalism's um, standards, not feeling worthy because we aren't living up to patriarchy's standards, you know, because we are um, a woman or being slut shamed, um, thinking that our sexuality, like our queerness or whatever sexuality we have is inherently wrong. Um, All kinds of things like thinking that we're not, um, our voices aren't valid or important because we're not a cis straight white man, you know, so many things thinking, you know, I have to look feminine in order to be considered pretty or attractive. There's so many different um, beliefs that we can internalize from oppression. And I, I believe that a lot of what we call our core slash limiting beliefs actually comes from oppression 
you know, like we might feel the shame about our body because it's maybe it's, we think it's too fat or it's not perfect enough. Um, we tend to be told that that belief just kind of comes from ourselves, you know, or, um, it could come from like adults growing up telling us, but it's very much comes from society, but in particular patriarchy and oppression that tells us we have to live up to a certain kind of standard right of what a woman looks like or a man looks like or again we're coming back to gender too but also white supremacy is is intersected in that as well because if you're a person of color you know white is like this standard of beauty that people of color will never live up to right and that's oppression so there's all these different ways you know like cis men or just all men really like feeling like they need to be strong and shouldn't um, feel or show their emotions. That's internalized oppression. So there's always different um, things that we do. And and I know that like when I connected, when I first connected the dots between my core belief of feeling unworthy to patriarchy, basically for me in my case, it, really helped me let go of it and detach from it in a deeper way. Because if I think that my belief of feeling unworthy comes from myself or it just kind of got there magically, you know, then it's really hard to, to, to let it go. Like you don't know how to, you think it's just a part of you. But when I recognize that actually that's not who I am because at my core I'm worthy, like this is coming from society then I can say, well, that's not mine. And I can let that go. So how do people listening come to that realization or that point? Is it leaning in and just to begin with asking questions and becoming aware of those thoughts and where they might have mm-hmm. come from? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it starts with self-awareness, you know, mm-hmm. just having some self-awareness of your thoughts, of your feelings. And then you have to, in order to recognize it as internalized oppression, you have to have some awareness of oppression, right? You have to have some awareness of patriarchy, white supremacy, you know, um, ableism, all these systems of oppression, or at least some of them. Mm. (laughs) Um, You know, you have to be aware that, that we do, um, live in these power structures and you know society that tells us all of these social messages about around gender and race and sexuality and all these things so you have to have a self-awareness some kind of self-awareness and then some kind of awareness of social you know socially society right so mm. the social messages that we pick up on and then tie them that's when you can tie them together And I think like that's like hopefully people hearing me just kind of connect those dots and talking about it will help more people connect the dots because that's the thing is we need more people talking about internalized oppression and what it is and connecting the dots between our the beliefs and messages that we take on from society and oppression um, because the more that we hear people talking about it, the more we are going to be able to connect those dots. Hmm. Yeah, it inspires that 
realization or that, uh-huh, that's where that came from. Right, exactly. And we can't do it alone, right? Like mm-hmm. we need, like, I didn't just come up with this all on my own. You know, I mean, it's, it's, we all influence each other, right? And we, we get free together, right? We get free of these things together. And um, that's what I want to see more of like anyone that is interested in inner growth work, personal growth, um, self-awareness, you know, anyone that is interested in that, I think, you know, has, can, can make those connections more easily too, right? If you have more awareness of your body, your feelings and your thoughts, like maybe you meditate or you're very, you know, you know what your body is saying and you're, you have some experience feeling your feelings and some emotional intelligence, right? Mm. Then you're going to be able to make those connections a little bit more easily. Um, but the thing is, is that what we don't do is we don't make the connection between that, you know, the inner growth, the uh, inner beliefs and messages and the feelings to society and how society has like influences us to have those beliefs and to feel something about those beliefs and how that might show up in our bodies. So it's all connected, right? Mind body connection and society. Mm. (laughs) I've actually never said it that way before, but it's true. Well said. (laughs) I'm I'm kind of going to switch pace again. I'm flipping you all over the place here. (laughs) So with activism, I've heard you speak about this before recently in one of the whole self webinars and it's something that I've been pondering on a lot lately myself and you mentioned how you don't necessarily label yourself an activist in the typical sense of the word and kind of explained how activism might present itself in our daily lives so I'd love if you'd talk about that a little bit because we've talked a lot about self-awareness and around setting ourselves and others free and I know that a lot of people at the moment are also questioning about well what else can I do outside Mm. of myself Mm -hmm. and in my communities and in my family and then the must I be an activist (laughs) question comes up or I'm less of if I'm not an activist or activists are judging me if I'm not. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts around -hmm. around activism. Yeah, sure. I mean, first thing is like you don't have to identify as an activist. And that's why like I don't identify as an activist because to me it's really like how – we all need to be like, we all need to be active in some way. And that doesn't mean that we all need to go to protests or that we all need to donate money or that we all need to run for office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what it means is that, you know, what I want to help people do, what I do, what I hope I hope help people do is to integrate activism into their everyday life. So I don't even like the word activism, but I usually say feminism or social justice, right, in their everyday lives. And, you know, how can, like, I'm just going to use the word feminist. So how can you have a feminist relationship, right? How can you um, 
integrate feminism into the workplace? How can you create, you know, your business from your feminist beliefs, going back to like what I do with my consulting, but like, and then how can you, your language be feminist? How can we like all these different ways? And so what we talked a lot about at our web, Andrea and I talked a lot about in our webinar, you know, with, um, with how to bring activism into your everyday life is with all, all your relationships, like whether it's romantic, friendship, work relationships, family. And because this is like our life is like relating to people. We're relating to people all the time. So how are we doing that? And what is, you know, language is really big for me is like, what languages are we using? Um, what words are we using? Um, and just kind of seeing like, how, you know, this, this is where we can kind of tie into the internalized oppression piece too, of like, okay, where, what beliefs have I internalized and how is that showing up in my life? Right? Like, how is that showing up with my partner? Like maybe with men who are maybe with a man who's with a woman, like maybe on some unconscious level, he has internalized that he, um, you know, that his role isn't so much doing the emotional labor, right? And so he kind of subconsciously puts a lot of that work onto his partner, who is a woman, right? And so we do all these subconscious things. And so it's kind of bringing attention to like, okay, well, what are the roles that we fall into in relationship with one another? You know, like, are they gendered? Um, you know, what's, what feels good there, what doesn't feel good there, what's serving us, what's not serving us. Um, so, you know, in that example, like women do take on a lot more emotional labor than men do because that's part of oppression, part of patriarchy and what we're taught to do. And then men are kind of taught to expect that, you know, on a, on an unconscious level, right. Or a subconscious level, like, we aren't necessarily conscious of it. So it's about bringing consciousness to that. And then it does require some change and it's going to be uncomfortable, right? Because we're going to be like, oh, geez, I've been doing this thing. Um, but that's where the growth is. Like every growth, almost all growth is like uncomfortable, right? Like there's not, you know, like when you had growing pains growing up and your body, like it was uncomfortable. It was kind of painful sometimes, but that's just part of growth. And, but it, it's taking you to a freer, more liberating place. So I don't know if that's tangible, if I made it tangible enough. I'm, <laughs> you <laughs> did. I'm still stuck on Okay. Did I? <laughs> no, no, you did. I I hear that you know you don't have to protest. You don't have to be a you know run for right. office, but you can focus on raising that consciousness and that awareness, and and how you can then make those tweaks in your daily life with your language or with the role that you play or you expect of others, yeah. and role modeling as well. What you what. Uh, what you think is more aligning with the way right. that the world should be. So yes, that was an excellent, excellent yeah, response. Good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And I love that you uh, use the example of men there. And mm -hmm. so I just, 
I would like to ask you around cisgendered men and I know there's mm-hmm. some that listen to this podcast because they've messaged me before and obviously we're, uh, we're surrounded Yay. by cisgendered <laughs> men in our lives. So I'm curious, what role do you think they should play in in all of this work, in feminism and in social justice? And I don't know if it's just who I associate myself with, but I don't always see many cisgendered men playing a I guess, an obvious role in some of these conversations. So I'm curious to hear what you think. Yeah, I don't either. And that's a problem. So (laughs) um, I do think men absolutely have a role in feminism in particular, but their role is different because men didn't, you know, men did not create feminism. So I don't think they need to be the leaders of it. But I think they absolutely need to be a part of it because um, this is as much about our liberation as it is theirs. You know, everyone is, men are oppressed under the patriarchy as well and under capitalism and, you know, men of color are oppressed under white supremacy. Disabled men are oppressed under ableism. You know, like there's all these intersections, right? So we're all going to, you know, we all have to do this together if we I mean we're all going to benefit if we do if we get you know do this work collectively of getting liberated from oppression so I think that's what I want men to understand is that it's as much their fight too it's as it's going to benefit them as much the work of undoing oppression in general and then in feminism in particular it's they do need to take like a backseat in terms of like leading feminism but they act absolutely need to be involved. So first thing is listening. Mm. And when I I wrote a blog post about men's role in feminism a couple months ago, and before I wrote it, I asked people on Facebook and Twitter, you know, I asked women identified folks, you know, I'm writing this blog post about men's role in feminism, what must I include? And the number one response I got was, they need to listen. And I was like, okay. So, because almost everyone said that, that's a big thing. And it's true. Like, women, I mean, who are the best listeners you know? And this is not a diss to men, like any men that are listening. Like, this is not a diss. This is just like how it is. This is socialization. And, but like, you think of the best listeners you know, you think of women in general, right? And there's a reason for that. And it is socialization. Women have been taught to, express have more you know expression of their emotions and they are allowed to like be have more have greater intimacy with one another and with like boys don't have the same kind of intimacy with one another that girls do you know like girls will share beds and they'll you know there's just, there's just more room for girls to kind of be emotionally close and And they grow up having more emotional intelligence, we do. And we take on more emotional labor. And and we're expected of this, though, because that's part of patriarchy is like, well, men are supposed to be the protectors and the providers. And women need to be like the caregivers. It's women's role to give care. That socialization, that's, you know, I don't believe that's essentialist that's like who we're meant to be at all no absolutely men could be caregivers if we told them that you know Mm -hmm. from the young age 
So I think that that's part of the reason why men are not as good at listening. And they're not taught to listen to women because of patriarchy. You know, patriarchy tells men to listen more to other men, that men hold more authority and expertise than women. So men don't grow up listening as well to women. And so this is like number one, first step is like men learning how to listen and active listening. So men could take workshops to, you know, learn how to listen, take classes. Take, I mean, but this is like, exercises I've given male clients before is, okay, so (laughs) what I want you to do is to start listening to the women in your life, your girlfriend, every woman in your life, start listening. And the, the results are profound. I mean, every man has said, wow, when I, you know, I noticed that when I listened, like, their relationships improved. I mean, you know, their relationships with all these women improved. And they were just, you know, they they got some so much more of a positive response from women because they listened, right? I mean, we get irritated and frustrated when people don't listen to us. Like everyone wants to be, you know, listened to. But the thing is, women have been listened to less in society so we do need men to listen you know and that's that's the number one thing and then I mean I'll try to keep this shorter but like the number two thing I think is really important that we don't talk enough about is I believe men should teach other men you know about feminism Mm. about sexism but learn from women don't learn from men about sexism. Don't learn from men about patriarchy. Learn from women who experience these things. Learn from women on how to listen. Learn from women on how to care and give emotional support because women, these are the things that women are good at and women do and women experience. So learn from women and see them as experts and authorities just as much as you see men and notice where you do and notice where you don't. And then teach men, you know, go out there and teach men and take some kind of political action, whether it's like calling your senator, your representative, some politician, whatever, because one of the facts in the U.S. was 86% of the calls to representatives against Trump were coming from women. 86%. So it's like, where are the men? What are they doing? (laughs) Where's that passive stereotype there? Yeah. (laughs) Women being passive and men being active. Right. Right. Yeah. No, women are super active. Mm. And so, yeah, exactly. So like that's, I want to see men like step it up. That's where you can step up your activism is, yeah, you can like call a politician. That's really good. We need that, you know, but also like in your everyday life with your relationships and noticing um, your own messages that you've received about about people. Thank you for sharing that, especially since the men who are listening are listening. <laughs> so hopefully they'll really yes. dig that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Well, finally, yeah. because I know it's getting very late there, you must be getting tired. So can you just tell us what's happening next for you and for your work and how we can support what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. So next is the gender sessions I was mentioning earlier. And also I do, I am going to create sessions for men too. I mean, men can also take advantage of those gender sessions. Those gender sessions are for anyone of any identity. Um, but I'm also very interested in having, it's probably not going to happen this year, probably next year, but I'm in the planning stages of it with, I don't know if I'll do it with Andrea or if I'm going to do it with someone else or myself or what, but having a group for cis men in particular to really like, you know, get free of this patriarchy, soften oppression stuff and, you know, help men to have better relationships with, with the women in their lives, with the men in their lives, with, with themselves. And that's definitely a huge passion of mine that I'm working towards. And then with Whole Self Liberation, we have a couple events coming up in October in San Francisco, which we're going to um, promote soon. We'll, we'll be sharing about that soon in the next couple of weeks. But um, so, yeah, people can follow us on social media to get the latest on that. But we're going to be um, they're, they're going to be centered on collective care and nourishment and getting free. So, you know, just a lot of burnout that happens in the social justice and activist communities and we really want you know we really need more nourishment and collective care mm, wonderful and then there's your podcast too real feminist stories yes, so podcast. yeah yes <laughs> so yes. people tune in and check that out if you haven't already um, yeah so i've got some more you know awesome guests coming up so yeah I, mm. I've been binging well, on it lately. Well, <laughs> when there's been you. a spare moment, it's been it's been incredible. So I'll share the links to that and to some of the articles that we mentioned and to your website and to the whole self website. But thank you. Thank you so much for answering all of those questions all over the place <laughs> for oh, me. Awesome. And to anyone listening, please go and check out Cam's website and book in for a session with her. I have learned so much from you over not really mm. a long time, really. It hasn't <laughs> yeah. been that long of a time. And even the last one-on-one -on -one session we did, I mean, within a week, I've booked another one. So <laughs> Cam is incredible. <laughs> if you're thinking about Aww. it, jump over and book in and, and learn a lot about yourself and 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 the world through through what she's doing thank you so much naomi i really am honored and i really appreciate you having me on and i just i adore you and i believe in you so thank you so much oh big head happening now <laughs> <laughs> yes thank you for listening to the dream for others podcast if you want to connect with like-minded people who are passionate about using their platform, passions and uniqueness for social good, head on over to Facebook and search for our private group called the Dream for Others community. For episode notes, further inspiration and access to my award-nominated free resources, please visit NaomiArnold.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate if you'd please subscribe, leave a review in iTunes and share it wide and far. 
Let's continue to dream for others and I'll talk to you soon.